So let's look at the 23rd Psalm. We'll read the passage again, although it's probably very familiar to you. Many of you probably have it memorized, and if you don't yet, I encourage you to do so. The scripture says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures, and he leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. My cup runs over, excuse me, my you anoint my head with oil, my cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The great proclamation there at the end of verse 6 is what we're going to concentrate on. But I'll just go back a little bit and remind you that as we are reading through the 23rd Psalm and reflecting on it, we're reflecting on the life of David. This psalm is all about a journey. It's David reflecting on his life as a child and as a shepherd, all the way to the point that he is an adult and he is ruling and reigning on the throne of his kingship, on the throne of the kingdom. Through the times of despair and through great times of hope, through seasons of corruption and seasons of glory through times where enemies are pursuing him and allies are protecting him we have come to know this psalm is a psalm of a journey of life lived by David as one who has been a shepherd and one who has been led by the good shepherd and we certainly recognize that this psalm is not just about David and his life journey, but this is a psalm about our life journeys as well. And it has caused us to reflect on all that we have journeyed in this life and potentially will. The psalm is poetically expressed, as you know, as a shepherd could express it, with great insight and great details. He guides us to the good shepherd the lord jesus of nazareth the psalm is one that david knew well in his life as the shepherd and one he knew well as a sheep of the sheepfold of the lord himself you know unlike our fence pastures and our well-marked property lines david as a shepherd would have moved his sheep into open areas some prairie-like and others in the hill countries, some in lush pastures and many in very desert conditions where it seems that there would be very little to eat, but there was much to eat there. David, being from the region of Bethlehem, would probably have started his grazing season there close to home. And it's more than likely that after he grazed the sheep there around the Hebron area, that he would have moved north around the hill country of the Sea of Galilee. And as the summer heat was really bearing down in that area, if you know the topography there, there's a trough there and it can get very warm in that area. He would have traveled up north into the Golan Heights and graze them along the pastures of the mountainous regions really picturesque in 
in that area. It's just moving from place to place. But as winter is approaching, the cold airs from the mountains would come down and often snow would settle on the hillsides. So obviously a shepherd would graze his sheep in another location going south into the Jordan Valley, which is like a summer oasis in the winter for the people in that region. The grounds were lush and the pasture and the grazing was rich and the Jordan River provided enough water for all the sheep in the area. But as you know, the circuit had to be completed. So David would have moved through about 25 miles through the Jordanian, let me get this right, Judean wilderness. Uh, As he's moving through that area, it's a real arid desert place. Uh, It would be like the shadow of death to him. But on the other side, it would open up to be the region of the hill country around Bethlehem again. It was a circuit. And it was a circuit that no doubt had been passed down from generations of shepherds, from family member to family member to family member. David knew the circuit and how he could provide well the green pastures for his sheep and those still waters. David's starting place was there in Bethlehem, and he would end again there in Bethlehem. But now whether it's the rotation of grazing sheep or it's the journey of life, what this psalm is helping us to recognize is that life is a journey And it has high places and low places. It has lush places and barren places. Your life and my life is is like that. David would have experienced enemies and allies. And he certainly would have experienced life. And then he would experience death. And you and I experience all those things. What we have in common with him is that. And also that we have a shepherd who is guiding us. A good shepherd who is providing for us. So David concludes this famous poem by bringing us home to the Father's house. Verse 6, ultimately expressing our, our heavenly home with our Father. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever, David proclaims. Now if you remember, as we're moving into the home of God in heaven, the first experience that we have is to sit at the table of the Lord. It's a table that will be set before us by the Lord Jesus himself. It will be there that he will place his hands upon our head and anoint us with oil. And he will show all those in attendance that we are his honored ones. And he will provide for us a cup, a blessing that will overflow. It is a table of grace. And this overflowing cup is significant because it reflects that this blessing of God in the house of God will forever be unending. It continues, and rightly so, it's expressed that way because we inherit God and we inherit all those things of God that He treasures to His beloved Son. We are co-heirs with Christ Jesus, so no doubt the cup overflows with goodness and mercy all the days of our life. There we will dwell in the glory of God. So he's going to end there. But before he ends there, I want to just reflect for a moment as we consider the journey that has been made. In those six verses of this journey, David is considering his present state, where he is. 
He's looking back on where he has been, and he's looking forward to where he's going. That's a good time for you and me to pause and reflect as well. And this afternoon, uh, Kay will be spending some time with her sister, and uh, I will be at the house. I've got some things that I want to do, and then I will settle into a chair outside overlooking a pond, and I will pause. And it's my purpose this afternoon to reflect on where I have been and where I am and where I am going. And my hope is at the conclusion of that little session that I too will ring out a statement like David, surely goodness and mercy has followed me and is following and will follow all the days of my life. For I know where I've been, I know where I am, and I know where I'm going. And I know God's goodness in the midst of that. In this hurried pace of the culture in which you and I are surrounded by, you and I ought to settle in and just reflect on God's goodness periodically. So as a recipient of such love and care, David just exclaims this surely goodness statement. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Now you're going to hear that over and over in this message, and it's intentional. Because I want us to have that statement driven into our thoughts and into our heart. But let's break it down and just talk about each segment of it, if you don't mind. Goodness is the expression of God and his character. He is a good God. In fact, there's a song that we sing here uh, periodically, Good, Good Father. And it's true that God is a good, good father. It's Goodness is an expansive word. It, it, it's meant to really communicate in every sense of the way God's grace towards us, his, his actions towards us. Goodness is an active word. It is God's love given to us. It is God's love acting towards us. It's his love and benevolence towards us. It's the character of who God is and how he demonstrates that in our lives. He's a good father and every effort towards us is good. Sometimes we, we sort of lose that significance of God and His goodness because we often try to relate it to us in our experience of goodness, but it's, it's sort of convoluted in a way. I don't know about you, but I, I want to be good towards my friends and my family. I want to be good towards my wife. I want to be good towards my sons and my grandson. and I want to express goodness. But I find myself oftentimes struggling to do that because I want goodness myself. There's a sense of selfishness in all of us that we want what's good. So when we buy a concert ticket, we buy the best ticket that's good for us at the price we can afford. And when we go through the buffet line and we're picking up a dessert, we pick the best-looking, biggest piece of dessert because we want the goodness, right? I mean, that, there's nothing in and of itself bad with that. We want what's good, but that sort of provokes us at times to not give goodness because we want to be a recipient of goodness. And that mischaracterizes God because God is good. All He gives is good. He's not looking for goodness because He is goodness. So his every intention and every effort towards us is good. And in some way, 
David is expressing the purity of God's goodness toward him and towards us. We find this is a repetitive subject throughout the scripture. In fact, probably a passage that you know very well that we often quote in times of duress is uh, Romans 8, 28. And it says, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. So we're recognizing that even God can bring, or that God even brings good into all situations because he is good. But I want to take it even deeper than that, and I want you to see the character of God out of Psalm 84, verse 11. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. How about that? God doesn't withhold anything good for those who are serving him, who are walking uprightly, walking in Christ and his righteousness. God is not withholding. He is fully exercising his goodness towards us. Or how about James 1.17? Every good gift, every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. So every gift that God gives is good. Every perfect thing is from God above. And listen, there's no variation to that, no shadow. So oftentimes I might think wrongly, maybe the tempter is, is provoking my thoughts in this way, that God is not all the time exercising towards me in a good way. But listen what the Word of God says. This is from God's own breath. There is no variation to his goodness. He doesn't change his goodness towards you because you've changed your goodness towards him. He doesn't change any measure of his goodness in your life because you've changed in the way that you don't present goodness in the life of somebody else. There's no variation, no shadow due to change regarding God. He is good. And in that, David exclaims, surely goodness has followed me. Surely goodness has pursued after me. So think about that for a moment, the goodness of God. Press into the fact that God is not withholding goodness from you. Everything in your life that you're experiencing, God is giving you good things. Well, you say, well, not all the experiences that I have are good. I didn't say that. In the midst of a fallen and broken world, God is bringing goodness to you. He is bringing reconciliation to the brokenness. He is rebuilding that which is broken, and He is rectifying. He is the justice bearer for all those who have been experiencing injustice because His goodness is towards us. There will be a day when we will reflect back on this life of temporary living, and we will say, certainly, God pursued us in goodness might not have the 2020 vision of that now but you will and i will one day in the future so our attitudes change when we think that way that god is good our life is experienced differently when we're confident in that that god is moving towards us with good i think joy can abound and a smile can be perpetual when we trust the lord for his goodness but now david doesn't just say surely goodness he also says, surely goodness and mercy. 
Now, the word in the original language of the Bible that uh, we have translated for mercy is a very complex word. In fact, it might be one of the most important words in the Old Testament regarding God and his exercise of love towards us. The word in the original language is hesed. And hesed is a difficult word to put into one word in the English. So let me just give you the essence of it. Hesed is God's loyal love. Hesed is God's covenant love. Hesed is God's choice to love us regardless. And in that it's sort of put into the frame of his mercy that is demonstrated to us. That he gives us mercy when he should give us justice. He should give us something radically different than what we receive. And he does that because he has a love, a covenant love with us, a loyal love towards us. Many Old Testament scholars say that this loyal and covenant love identify God in his genuine nature, his immutable love for us that is completely loyal to us, regardless of what we experience or what we do. God's love and loyalty are intertwined, and they are tightly woven together. Because he loves, he is loyal. And in his loyalty, he expresses love perpetually to us. God's always sharing that love. And no wonder David exclaims, Surely goodness and hesed, God's loyal love, is following me all the days of my life. Which brings us to that next little phrase, shall follow me. I'm sort of embarrassed to tell you this, but for many years I misread and misunderstood this section of the scripture. As familiar as I was with it, I misinterpreted it. I was thinking that this is something that's always behind me. It's back there. If I look back, I can see, oh, there was the goodness and there was the mercy of God. There was the goodness and the loyal love of God. I can reflect back on it and see it. Or maybe in heaven, I'll look back on this time of, of our temporary life and see the goodness and the, and the hesed, the loyal love of God. And although that is true, that is not the essence of what David is talking about in this section. I know that because most often the term that is used in the original language of the Bible for follow me is translated pursue me, chase me. It's a whole other perspective of follow me. It's most often used in the scripture and outside of scripture to describe what a soldier would do as he is pursuing, following after, chasing down his enemy. It's an aggressive movement after this one who is before him. And in that, David is saying, God follows me, pursues me with his goodness and his love. He is after me. There's a a section in Scripture. Joshua is is inclining his soldiers to go after the, the five kings of the Amorites. And he saw their vulnerability, he saw their weakness, and he knew that God was giving the enemy over into their hands, the hands of the Israelites. So he he tells them this, pursue. Now that's the word that describes follow me here in the 23rd Psalm. Pursue or follow your enemies, attack their rear guard. Do not let them enter their cities for the Lord your God has given them into your hand. So they are hotly pursuing them and sure enough they catch up with those five kings and all those 
warriors who are around them and they annihilate them. God had given them the victory and they were in pursuit of them. In that way, David is using this term to say that God is pursuing us with his goodness and with his loyal love. You're not going to get away from that. You're not going to escape that. You're, you're not going to not be caught by him. He is in constant pursuit of you with his goodness and his mercy. So no matter what you're experiencing and no matter what you're doing in God's loyal love for you, he is pursuing you. Man, is that not good news? Because the tempter will cause us to think differently if we're not given to this truth. Okay, in my life, here's what the tempter does. He recognizes the weakness of my flesh. He gives the temptation, which hooks up with the desire in my flesh. And if I'm not given to the way of God in the Spirit, I will fall for that lure and I will sin. Then he will turn that around and tell me what a low life I am and how God wants nothing to do with me. Anybody else ever had that cycle in your life? Right, here's what the scripture says. In that moment, God's loyal love and his character of goodness does not stop pursuing me. Where can I go from the glorious goodness and love of God? I can't go from that. Man, does that not ever cause us to go right back to him with his loyal love and with his great goodness and submit our lives to him all over again. Lord, what I have just acted on is not of your nature. It is not who I am as a son of the Most High God. Forgive me for following a way that is not of you. I confess that to you and trust you in your loyal love and goodness towards me that you are faithful and just to forgive me of that sin come back to where you are in pursuit of me that's that's the glorious nature of what david has experienced so surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life now this idea of god's grace and loyal love pursuing us just has to have a settledness in us put that on the screen if you will that that god will follow me all the days of my life. In fact, there's a statement that I want you to have in your mind about following. This phrase following is from the Hebrew word radaf. It means to be pursued. And that pursuit is every day of your life. So there's not a single experience in your life in Christ that he is not pursuing you. No matter what you're experiencing. This statement is going to be on the screen in just a moment. It is God's grace and loyal love will pursue us. All the days of our life, God's grace and loyal love will pursue us. I want you to say that by reading it on the screen with me. Say it out loud. God's grace and loyal love will pursue us. Now, what if I put a statement in front of that like this? When we are weakened by fatigue, sickness, or disease, God's grace and God's love is pursuing us. See if you can repeat that last part. When we are weakened by fatigue and sickness and disease, God's grace and goodness 
and love will pursue us, is pursuing us. I'll get it right in a second. When we are spiritually apathetic, catch this, when we're spiritually apathetic or wayward, say this, God's grace and loyal love is pursuing us. When we are burdened with pain, emotional, physical, or otherwise, it is, say it, God's grace and loyal love pursuing us. When we aren't accepted into our school of choice, when a dating relationship is broken, when you have another unexpected repair, when we sense anxiety looking at everybody else's social media posts that is absolutely unattainable by anybody, when time moves forward faster than you want it to, when you feel down and discouraged for any number of reasons, say it with me, God's grace and loyal love is pursuing us. You see, His grace and His loyal love is not contingent upon anything. It is who He is and how He acts towards us, regardless of what you and I are going through. Robert McQuelkin, the founder of Columbia International University, notes there is a great difference in the victory that we experience or the defeat that we experience depending on where we put a conjunction. The conjunction but in a sentence makes a big difference. We tend to say, the Lord is my shepherd, but I can't pay my bills. The Lord is my shepherd, but I am sick. We tend to say, the Lord is my shepherd, but I've got problems that I'm really worried about. You see, that conjunction is a big issue. But what if we reverse it around based on the goodness and the mercy of God? and said, you know, right now I'm having trouble paying my bills, but the Lord is my shepherd. Or right now I find myself getting news from the doctor that I really didn't want to have, but the Lord is my shepherd. See how that goes? The conjunction makes all the difference in the world. We, we should recognize that if our testimony is right and our experience is victorious amid life circumstances or situations then we ought to have the right conjunction at the right place in the sentence this is my experience but it does not negate the truth that surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life no matter what we're experiencing and then he says and i shall dwell in the house of the lord forever hmm. god's goodness and his loyal love have pursued us and they are moving us to the right place, to the house of God. Think for a moment about God's goodness and His mercy pursuing you, following you. Robert Morgan sees that pursuit of goodness and mercy like what a shepherd would see as he is giving signals to his dogs, sheep dogs, that help him guide sheep in the right places. You ever seen that in action? I found a video online that I'd like to share with you. It's of sheep dogs herding sheep. They're in hot pursuit of sheep, moving them to the right pastures. Those few hundred sheep are being moved through a small gate to the right green fields where the shepherd knows there's good grazing. And you'll notice that there are just a small number of dogs moving those few hundred sheep by the direction of the shepherd. And they are making sure that they are guided into the right place. That's God's work in you, a 
goodness and mercy constantly moving you when you're experiencing sickness and when you're experiencing hard times it's goodness and mercy that's moving and when you're celebrating and you are joy filled it's goodness and mercy that's moving following you pursuing you getting you right to where God wants you to be knowing that there is an ultimate destination that you'll find which is the house of the Lord forever that brings us to the final words of this great song. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The house of the Lord. Now, whatever you have in your mind right there, let's expand that a little bit. Because no matter where you are reading in Scripture, wherever you find the house of the Lord, you find the presence of the Lord. That's the big deal. You can go back to the Old Testament and to the early days when the people were in the land of Israel. And there God established a tabernacle. It was a tent erected. But I can tell you that's only a tent made of skins and fabric unless the presence of God is there. But when the presence of God is there, it's the house of the Lord. And when God gave instruction to Solomon about building the temple it was a magnificent structure. But I'm telling you, in all of its majesty, in all of its glory, in all of its brilliance, it's only a structure made by the hands of man without the presence of God. But with the presence of God in that temple, it's the house of the Lord. So you can settle into this idea that the house of the Lord is the presence of God. So David is not talking about moving into a physical house as much as he's talking is to being in the presence of God. The presence of the Lord, and there he will dwell forever. The reality is that this is not a structure, this is God himself. Understanding the Lord is our good shepherd and experiencing his provision and care, David is over overwhelmed with joy that not only does he have that but goodness and mercy is following him all the way to the presence of God where he will dwell forever if you are reading along with us in our Meadowbrook daily Bible reading you'll know on Friday we're going to be in the 21st chapter of Revelation and when you get to that chapter and I hope that you do or maybe if you're reading another Bible reading plan you'll focus in on verse 21 with the rest of us and you'll think of this statement, I shall dwell in the house, that is, I shall dwell in the presence of the Lord forever. For this is the passage that we're going to read. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. And he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be more mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. What we're reading there is that God's presence is with us, and we are with him. So surely goodness and mercy has followed me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell there in the presence of God forever where there will be no more pain, no more sin, no more sorrow, no more disease, and no more death. Glory is right. What a passage. So the 
23rd reminds us that life is a journey being led by a good shepherd who is preparing us for an eternal dwelling place with the presence of God. That means that every day on this journey is a step forward to the full presence of God forever. There is not a single day that is not significant to that eternal destiny. So our good shepherd, Jesus of Nazareth, is leading us he lovingly meets our needs and he satisfies us so that we have not a single want. Just ahead of us on this journey is the path of righteousness and within us is the restored soul that has been given to us by the loyal love of God. His protection and his rescue in our life is as certain as the rod and the staff that he holds in his hand. Around us are green pastures and upon us are the anointing of the hands of the Lord Jesus himself and pursuing us constantly is goodness and loyal love of God to the day that we enter into his presence where we will dwell forever. Glory be to God. And that's for everyone who trusts in Jesus to rescue us from our sin, from God's justice, death it's for everyone who will come to him as the good shepherd submit yourself to him in his sheepfold it's for you it's for me but you're going to have to step in faith God has been pursuing you and in his pursuit he is acting towards you with love and goodness would you act to him in surrender? To be guided by him? To be fed by him? To be restored by him? To go with him? Father, in this moment, I'm asking that your grace and faith be poured out even now. That some might come to a relationship with you through the blood of Jesus Christ that they might be cleansed of their sin and be brought to you in righteousness by what Christ has accomplished on their behalf and their faith would be given to you in that that you have provided such grace and such mercy with great love and for many of us Lord we have responded to you in faith and maybe along the way we have forgotten of your goodness and grace and your mercy and your love pursuing us May we have forgotten, Lord, that there is a movement, a destiny that this world has distracted us from, but we recognize from this passage today that our Good Shepherd is leading us to an eternal dwelling in your presence forever. Write our thinking again. Make our way clear again. Let us forsake anything that is moving us away from that which you're moving us towards. And may you be glorified in that. I pray this in Jesus' name.